not as hard on myself as I used to be. I don't live by so many rules like I used to before. I'm a lot more loving. I'm a lot more kind. I'm a lot more understanding. Sometimes I can catch myself being judgmental now. And even the awareness that I'm being judgmental, I get humble. I'm like, shit, this is me still being unkind to this person in my thoughts. And I just relax. But if, when I was in within religion, if I felt that my reason for being judgmental, God says it, I'd be like, I'm not backing down. That's I'll just stand in there even if it hurt the other person's humanity. I'll be like, well, that's what God said. What do you want me to do? As kids, because of how we're taught, and deeper like they teach you, it's like, I'm telling you, when they tell you it's an indoctrination, they train you like, like you're in the army. They used to tell you in the army of God. We would go visit our cousins who were chill. They used to go to some hip church in Ikeja. They were living their lives like normal young people should. And we would call them aside, like, please, we just want to talk to you. This thing you're doing, you'll go to hell. And we would like cry. You know, we felt like we're being compassionate. And this is like some eight, seven-year-old telling a 15-year-old, like, you're going to go to hell. Like, my cousins would just laugh in our faces. And we'd be like, oh, God, please forgive them because they didn't know what they're doing. We would count that as like, okay, maybe they didn't give their lives today, but one day God will win them over. Hi, I'm Wale Emanuel. And I'm Timmy Ogunira. You're welcome to In These Moments. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking about a very interesting topic, which is religion. A few episodes ago, we kind of went a little bit into religion. I think it was episode five. But today's story centers around religion. It centers around Christianity and it centers around beliefs and things that many of us can relate to when it comes to religion. Timmy, what is your relationship with religion at the moment? Oh, wow. Hot seat. I like I like hitting you with these hard questions. <laughs> no, this was really gut punch. Um, So my relationship with religion is, I think, evolving. There were a lot of beliefs that growing up I held that I know that I no longer hold. And even with Christianity, I think in general, I'm just exploring my spirituality. But especially with Christianity, because that's the religion that I was brought up in, I'm really looking more critically at it and looking at the what fits for me and what doesn't. What about you? Now I'm putting you on the hot seat. Um, well, it's very easy for me. For mm. me, I don't do religion anymore. I, 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 I could care less about religion. Child, of, child of the devil. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's, it's not just for me. And if we really... Is being, there a reason why? It's never been for me, to be honest. And I think the problem I had was coming to that realization and actually swallowing that fact that really it's not for me. Just like many people, we've gone through different stages where we're really trying to connect, trying to feel part of it, you know, because everybody tells you that, you know, you have to do this. And if you come from a background like I came from, my parents are pastors. Well, my dad is, my dad passed away, so he was a pastor. My mom too, my uncle, so many people, pastors and, you know, church people in my house. My father had the church and everything. Growing in all that, what I really realized was, a lot of it was me trying to follow these things that were put in front of me as things that I should do as a child growing up. And at some point, I just stopped trying because I felt like it's just not for me. I just it never. Wasn't it. it wasn't it. I just, and it's not a thing of me trying other religions and saying, oh, I'm going to try Islam. I'm going to try. No, like religion just isn't for me. 
the challenge sometimes is not being condescending and sometimes being fully accepting of other people. Like, for example, yeah, right. Um, I would tell Wale something, you guys, and Wale would hard. say, It's really hard. Wale sometimes. would be like, None of that shit is real. <laughs> no, sometimes it's hard because I also have to understand that even though I don't believe in something, it doesn't mean other people shouldn't. And I do a decent job of it, but sometimes it gets hard. Some of the stuff you hear in this episode will make you think like, oh, yeah, that is kind of weird. And your reasoning part will think that's stupid, which is the challenge I have, you know, even with my mom sometimes. Like, I just want to be like, come on, that, that shit's a lie. Like, don't believe it. But I know how important it is to people. And it's a question of what would I gain from basically trying to challenge them if they're not hurting anybody or leaving them alone to just believe what they believe in if it gives them fulfillment. Then I think that's where the the, the conversation gets dicey. And, and we're obviously going to talk more about this. But for me, that's what makes the difference is in the measurement of how harmful certain beliefs are. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But um, yeah, today's story goes into that. I had a good conversation with Eniola. She spoke about a lot of stories. She was raised in Deeper Life. Deeper Life is one of those churches that growing up, I always found really interesting because there are certain things they believe in that didn't make sense for some people. Like the fact that you could never watch TV. And really? yeah, they, they said if you watch oh, TV, see, you they would have lost me there. <laughs> you watch TV, you're going to hell. I remember in my grandma's house, whenever I stay with my grandma, she had this tenants downstairs. I think the elders, his name was Joshua. And they used to call, you know, your people, Mama Joshua. That's what you just call it. <laughs> and the the kids were like whenever we were, wa- we were watching tv and the parents were not around and they'll sneak to come watch tv just to you know watch things that we're watching and i always found it weird like wait you guys don't have a tv like so do you have a radio and they're like oh yeah they have a radio but their dad uses it to like listen to news and stuff like that i'm like so like how no tv no earrings no uh, i think women have to wear scarves they don't wear trousers they couldn't wear trousers The skirts are like super long back then and everything. And like just these things that just were really weird to me, even though I was a Christian as well. And I'm like, in my church, you know, these things don't matter. But yeah, her story talks about a lot of those things, grappling with the reality of being raised in that and how her journey pretty much progressed. Without further ado, let's get into Eniola's story. My name is Eniola. I go by Eniola Who. I am a fashion and textile designer, YouTuber. I make videos um, about social commentary. I was born and raised in Lagos, Nigeria. After high school, I moved to Toronto, then moved to LA, and I'm back in Toronto again. I have two sisters. We lived in Akoka, and then at some point, like in my early teens, then we moved to Ikoi, so I kind of lived two different lives. When we lived in Akoka, we lived in a lower income neighborhood, but it was that lower middle class where everybody was educated, but they weren't rich. My mom was one of the few women that owned her own car, like in our neighborhood. 
most women would take the, you know, we call them kabu kabus, right? So most women would take those or like um, to have their husbands drop them off. Because if there was one car, it would mostly be the dad that would use it. My mom really wanted us to see a different side of the world. Even though we lived in Akoka, we went to church in Akoka. Other than school and the home, church was our third biggest influence. And we were very like churchy and spiritual. I would say I was more reserved than my sisters. My sisters were very extroverted. Oh my God. And I remember sometimes just feeling like I was being pulled in the middle of like these two big energies. But I had my moments too where I would speak up. Like I was that kid that if I was in a new environment, people would be like, wow, she's so quiet. She's so this. But if you moved funny, I would say something. Like I was the vocal one. I was outspoken, but I just wasn't like super friendly all over the place and it's still like that with my sisters for me making friends was more of like a quiet thing and i'll have the friend for a really long time and i'm still like that like all my friends end up being my sister's friends but my sisters like they're just like everyone's friends but they don't bring anyone too too close so that was kind of how it was and honestly when you grow up with two girls you kind of don't need more friends like you just have everything you need and my mom always made this joke that I'm so happy you guys are three because you can't gang up against one another. It was like a game. Like if I had a fight with my oldest sister and my younger sister stepped in and was like, oh, like, you know, what you did is wrong. By the time she was done talking, I would be already like mad at her. And then she and my older sister would team up and then start to fight me. So it was like, you never really got to pitch your tents with one sister to say, oh, this is the one I'm going to ride with and side with everything. In five minutes, when she pisses you off, you have to go make friends with the other sister. Some of our friends that had like four siblings they would literally just pair up like these two and then these two but we didn't have that luxury so we learned to move fast with the fights and with the love like honestly i think we really preoccupied each other with our time and both good and bad and then we had these best friends that were also three siblings and it was like the same age even though there was a boy, the first was a boy. And they were like our favorite people in the world. Like every day we wanted to see them. Every day we wanted to hang out with them, even against our mom's wish. Like our mom would be like, you're doing lesson today. I want to escape and go play with Sami Fikai and Tujimu. So that was, that was one of my best memories of like growing up in Akoka, just having those three friends. Yeah. She speaks about her earliest memory of church and life as a young Christian girl. I remember this visual of like one day I was at church and I didn't want to be in the kids section anymore. I think I'd finished my candy or something. I was like three or four. And I pretty much told them to go call my dad to come get me out. And I remember my dad coming to get me. And I remember him taking me to the adults church. And I remember him not being able to sit with the rest of the audience. So he just carried me. And I remember looking like this adult church is like really different and very like formal and like whatever. But I remember just being happy that my dad was carrying me and I didn't have to be with the other kids. At that time, we used to go to this church called Trem, a fun church. Like, you know, there was music and dancing and all of that. And fast forward to like a few months after that, my mom and my dad are like, we're going to start going to this church called Deeper Life. But we didn't know what it was. They're like, oh, it's a really good like Bible-believing church. And as kids, you're like, sure, let's do it. You don't really care because you know you're going to be in the kids section anyway. And Deeper Life was a complete, like, at least for me at the time, it was such a stark difference because, you know, we come to church in our normal clothes. I think like I was even wearing shorts on my first day to church. And they were like, you can't wear that. You can't do this. You can't do that and it was just like what sitting at church and listening to some message is really not like popping for kids like you don't care except it's like a really fun story right 
I don't remember being drawn by those things. I remember what really got me into enjoying church was the activities. My sisters and I were really good at reciting, really good at reciting stuff. One time they got my older sister to do like, like a chapter in the Bible and she was doing it. They heard my younger sister and I reciting the same thing. It was this guy called Brother Michael. He's like, ah, ah, you guys, as small as you are, you can do this recitation of your thing. We're like, yes, sir, we can do it. He's like, all right, well, come join your sister. I'll give you guys like a new thing to do. And before we knew it, we're like the reciting kids of the church. So that way I picked up a lot of the Bible. Like I could recite so much of the Bible by heart. I've never been beaten in a game of draw your swords, which is where you open any book of the Bible. I've played it in Toronto, in Lagos, in Kaduna, in London. <laughs> Nobody has beaten me. So that is one of my church achievements. So all those activities got me into enjoying church. I remember the local branch on our street. I actually used to love going there earlier when we have uh, evening services just to clean and set it up. And I love setting up the electronics because they always say, oh, girls are not supposed to do that. You have to go and call Brother Gospel or Brother Aljo. And I'll just get there early and I'll set up the mics and the sound and everything. And I was like eight years old. I mean, sometimes I'll probably botch up some of the wires, but they'll just fix it. They'll say, oh, you tried, you tried or whatever. So I enjoyed those parts of church and like singing in the choir, things like that. For me, they were fun, but the actual listening to the message, the guilt tripping every week, I just hated those. My sisters and I always went to boarding house and I went to boarding house since I was like 10. Imagine you go to this church, deeper life is very big on making heaven and who's going to heaven and who's not. And we'd already been told that people with relaxed hair, people that watch TV, even though we always had a TV anyway, people with XYZ, you're not going to heaven. But then I would like go to boarding school and I'll meet people that were so quote unquote holy. And they'll be like, oh, I'm Anglican. Oh, I'm Baptist. So I already started seeing that something wasn't adding up. And then I would also go to London for holidays. And the deeper life in London, the kids will be wearing trousers that we do not let us wear in Nigeria. They'll be wearing big earrings, gold this. I'm like, ah, is it not the same? <laughs> like, isn't this mm -hmm. the same deeper life? So all those things obviously started brewing a lot of uh, contradictions and I started questioning. We would also have circumstances where I would ask questions and they would just give me one botched answer and be like, have I answered your question? And you know, you don't want to embarrass the pastor. You're like, yes, sir, you've answered it. But you're just like, this shit doesn't make any sense. I think my teenage years was where I started saying, hmm, I think we need to loosen up. And I have to say, my mom didn't follow all the deeper life rules. And I think me saying that helped me as a person to know that I don't have to take everything that something comes with. Even though now I think we went extreme with deeper life, but there were some rules my mom was just not willing to compromise on. Like, just like my kids will watch TV, period. Their times will come to church on Sunday and they will call my mom aside and say, I'm sorry, the girls can't sing because they have beads on the shoulder of their dress or their sleeves are too short or they're wearing button-down shirts because your shirts can't have buttons in the front because they say that it can gape and people can see your chest. And Yola shares some stories from attending the church youth retreat and the shock her and the sisters were in for. So my first youth retreat, I can't remember what class I was in. I think I might have been in JS1. So maybe I was 10, maybe 11. And it was for people in secondary school. My family, if one or two sisters are doing something, the third one has to join in. So because my older sister and I were in secondary school, my mom's like, the youngest one has to go too. So in Deeper Life, we do this thing called retreats where everyone will go to this place called Ayobo in Iyanopaja. It was like a secluded place. You didn't have access to the outside world. And you know then we didn't have cell phones. Not like I could be on Twitter 
when yeah. I feel bored or whatever. It, you like no cell phone. So you're just secluded. And it has like hostels and bathrooms and kitchens and restaurants and the auditorium. But in Deeper Life, we would call it the tent of meeting. I think we stayed in this hostel called Peace Hostel. And it was at least a thousand bunk beds like it was a dorm just an open dorm with like or maybe hundreds several hundreds and it was three layers bunk beds and in each bed you could have four people sleeping in them and they were twin size they were really small it was a dorm so it was just an it was just a big open space so it wasn't a room there was no privacy like forget privacy you just have to get used to dressing up in front of like hundreds of women staring at you we got there and not even up to an hour my older sister's clothes go completely missing. So we're like in panic mode, like, what the heck? What are we going to do? We're here for five days. Like, she doesn't have clothes. We come down from our bunk bed. We start walking around air. We're like, have you seen this blouse and this skirt? Like, it was such a weird, now I'm thinking of such a silly thing to do, like asking for like random clothing items. But it really helped because some girl is like, what are you looking for? So she's speaking pigeon and I'm not going to speak pigeon because my pigeon is terrible. So she's like, what are you looking for? We're like, we're looking for... My sister's clothes. She's like, okay. And she goes, calls some other girl. These girls were like detectives. Or they were like, and so when we think they find or whatever, we, so we tell them again, we're like helpless, just following them around. And they're like, don't worry. We go find your clothes. Don't worry. We must pull out this thief today. We're like, hey, we don't want Wahala because we don't want people like beating or we're like, please. They was like, don't worry. Next thing she calls my sister. She's like, let me smell you. And my sister is like, what? She's like, I want to smell your clothes. She said, that's how I'm going to find your clothes. And I was like, what the heck? This is interesting. So she smelled my sister. She's like, I know who stole this thing. Was there one? So she starts describing something. I was like, yeah. So she pulls this girl and she says, is this girl that stole your clothes? All of us were like, how do you know? She's like, check her bags. The girl is like, no, you can't check my bag. Da, 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 da. Like the girl is like, I beg, open the bag. That's how people start gathering. So at this point, I'm shaking. Like, this looks like a mob right now. So she opens the bag and my sister's clothes just start coming out the bag. Like, we're like, oh, that's her skirt. Oh, that's her blouse. Then the girl starts saying, no, it's my dress. I bought it. I, I just stopped at Yaba Market before I came here. The girl is like, I've already smelled this girl. You don't smell like her. She said, you really you smell like Idoti or whatever. Like, said, these girls, then they smell like baby powder. Then you can't tell they're Ajay Butters. These are not your clothes. And then she tells the girl, listen, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to confess. If you don't confess, we're going to beat your ass, period. And the girl is like, okay, okay, fine. I took them. I just saw them roaming around looking for where to stay. One of them dropped her bag and I just took it. And everyone starts shouting, ole, ole. We're like, oh God. So we just took the clothes and ran away. There was a prison there, but they never called it a prison. They used to say, we're lucky in the cell. So it was mostly for people who were violent. But if you were also like insubordinate, they'll put you in the cell. If they just catch like some youth saying, oh, I don't want to go sagging their pants. You're getting, your ass is going in the cell, period. We had to line up for food. And if by the time it's time for the next message, if you haven't bought your food, they'll send you back. And we, we didn't have that like hustle, like go and fight people for food. So we would line up. We can't get the food. All right, we just have to starve or we'll go to... There was a place between like the hostel and the tent of meeting. It was like like these bars. So people from Yanokaja will come to those edges and just sell you like tasty time or like stuff through the bars. So sometimes you just end up drinking something. You don't even know what it's made out of. But you're like, it's sugary. It'll keep me like alive till tomorrow. So it was like a mess. It was the most unsanitary place I've ever been in my life.
you have to hold everything in, period. Like you just hold everything in till you get home. But you know, at least you have to pee, right? So I remember one day my friend was telling me, oh yeah, they have toilets. And in the toilet, they give you toilet paper. But she's like, listen, if they ask you number one or two, say number two, because you get more toilet paper. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, great. Maybe I can keep the rest for if I need to like go in the bushes or something. Do you know, I got to the door, me and my sister and my friends were like lining up at the door. First of all, the smell, I was like, I don't think I can go in. She was like, just go. It's proper toilet. I was like, okay. At the door, like one or two, I like two. What that really means is one square of toilet paper or two squares. So I got two squares of toilet paper. Somebody walked out of one cubicle and I looked in and I screamed. I literally screamed and I ran. Oh God, it's so gross. The toilet was overflowing and full. So at that point, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. So I ran to like the sink area. There was no running water anyways. And I saw a bunch of girls just squatting and peeing there. And I just kind of had to do the same. I was like, honestly, it's better for me to die. This is too much. It was really bad. And so at that point, we were like, let's escape. Like, let's get out of here. Also, you have to think of the outside world. When you come out of a place like that, it's probably not that much safer right outside. So we went to the gate and we packed our things. And we started like making up all sorts of stories. We're like, please, something bad just happened. They said, so how do you know? We're like, we just can feel it. I don't know. We made up different stories. We now said one of our siblings was very sick. We asked one of them to pretend like they were sick. They were like, you are in the right place if they're sick. This is where Jesus will heal you. We begged. We even started crying. We're like, please just let us go home. They're like, you're not going anywhere. This is where you're going to be till the last day. If you don't leave this place, we're going to put you in the cell. We're like, okay, fine. So we left. And on the last day, I couldn't concentrate. I was just counting down. It's the last day, but they still wanted us to listen to another message in the morning. I'm like, I can't do this. So the whole time, me and my friends just kind of hung out together with just, and we didn't even care. We had our bags. We were just ready to go. And our church had told us, oh, you guys are going to get your own bus. We're all going to ride together. Next thing, they just called like random downfalls. And they were now telling my sisters and I to split up. Like, oh, you go in this bus. I was like, not after what's happened. Like, we're sticking together. And that's that i remember getting home and the first thing my sister and i did was we dropped our bags and we just started laughing so hard like we're hysterical well like did we just go through all of that for the sake of church and i remember after that retreat i specifically told my mom i said i'm not going back at some point her beliefs started evolving she left the christian faith in search of something more fulfilling I, it started from breaking off deeper life to going to like those fun redeems on the island then from there to coming abroad and saying no i'm not even gonna go to um redeem or whatever i'll go to another church that's even more hip like when i lived in la i went to a pretty cool church once in a while i might still go to their podcast and catch one sermon half the time i'm like oh okay i don't need to hear this but other times i'm like oh this is very like this is where what i needed to hear but it wasn't like an overnight thing for me. It was a very slow process. It took a long time, but some monumental moments, some landmark moments in me divesting from religion was I took a psychology class, social psychology, and we studied cults, persuasion, indoctrination, all those things. And that was where everything just became very clear to me. You know how they say there's nothing new under the sun? That's how I felt. I was like, wow, okay. So my life was, there's nothing new. This has happened before. You know, my family wasn't the first to be brainwashed and we won't be the last. Okay. I remember at the end of that psychology class, my teacher was like, write a self-reflective essay. Obviously, use the things you learned in psychology, but this is more about you. 
I talked about my deeper life experience. I didn't really talk about the retreat in detail, but I talked about just the extreme dogma and all that and how it affected me, even to like the person I am today, you know. Other than the fact that I got an amazing grade on the essay, the note she put for me, she pretty much told me that if I shared my story with the world, it would be beneficial. And up until then, I'd never really considered like talking about religion to anybody. Then I did the Free to Believe series where I sat down with like, well, this was years later, talking to young Nigerians that weren't of Abrahamic faiths. I think every day I just have like this little freeing moment that just like opens me up even more to like the universe and less to like one thing. But um, it's been like a long process to just like say, okay, I'm no longer of this thing. I'm now all things. Sometimes just for ease of explanation, I identify as a mystic because a mystic is someone that sees the whole, the big picture. And a mystic is someone that sees God in everything and in themselves. So that's my fundamental belief about what God is. There's dogma in Christianity, whether people want to admit it or not. And I, I don't do dogma anymore. I don't do rules. I don't, I'm just in a very clear space of like feeling connected to everything and everyone and honoring my roots, like my ancestors, right? And I learn about different religions, not just Yoruba spirituality, but I learned about different ways other people think. And I also took a class on world religions in school. And that was another eye-opening moment. I was like, again, there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever, <laughs> like everybody's just making best guesses. So I really got to those points through education. Yeah. And now I'm just kind of figuring things out and living my life, understanding. I have like a, an underlying encompassing truth about what I think about the world, but I'm okay with the idea that I don't know the details and I'm happy with that. She speaks on how her views on religion have affected her and how she sees things now. I think I'm a better person. The moment I put down religion, the moment I stopped trying, because one thing I hadn't really gone into in detail is how deep a life, this is how I feel. And this was how I felt when I attended the church. They used the guilt, the shame to bait you all the time. When I was a kid, I would just end, I would literally in the middle of the day, go in the closet, lock myself in and just cry for hours because I used to be so scared I wasn't good enough for God and that I would go to hell because that deeper life, they'll tell you that you have to ask for forgiveness for every single sin and try not to forget because if you forget, you might not be forgiven. Let's say you ask for forgiveness now and you're about to sleep and somewhere you're drifting away, you have like a sexual thought. If you sleep and Jesus comes, you're going to go to hell. So I had that burden on me, like every time I have to ask for forgiveness. I was one of those people, like every altar call, I'm like, I'm coming out, I'm coming, because I just want to be sure. And so we really put a burden on me growing up. And I realized later it flowed into other aspects of my personality. You know, if you think you're not good enough for God, the being that's supposed to be like, you're everything and da 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 then who do you think you're good enough for? So I doubted myself in so many things. Even my own like physical appearance, I doubted it. Like now I post pictures on Twitter and people are like, oh, you're a beautiful queen. I just realized in like a year ago or two because I just didn't see it prior to that. I just doubted everything. Like I just didn't think I was good enough for everything. And I think it took a lot of my childhood away. I used to think I was much older than I was growing up because of how much of responsibility I felt on my shoulders. You know, not financial, not anything, but just as a person. Like, I felt like I had to be the best person I could be for God to love me. And it was all from that whole thing. And removing myself from that situation has brought me a lot more freedom. Like, I'm happy making mistakes. I'm happy even committing sin. 
let me be honest with you, even if something is considered a sin, I'm happy to do it because I know I can recover. I'm no longer like caught up in that mentality of I need a savior. I don't need a savior. I'm whole, I'm perfect, and that's how God made me. And that's that. So tell me, what do you think about the story? I like the story. There were definitely parts of it that resonated with me. But I think the first thing that I want to talk about is this idea of of being taught that you're not good enough. You have to repent for everything. Things that you prior to this did not know were sins. But then now you have to constantly be in a place where you have to repent. And how that feeds into you feeling fundamentally like you're not good enough because there is this all-powerful being. You know, a lot of Nigerians even call God daddy. So there is this all-powerful being that's supposed to be the one person that's going to be there for you. And it's so interesting because I don't think I've ever really thought as deeply, and I'm talking about this point in particular, if you're being taught that you're not good enough and that you constantly have to be in a place of seeking forgiveness from this being, how that feeds into your person and just your worth. The more you you look into things and you're exposed to a lot of information about history, about psychology, you start noticing that certain things with religion aren't the most healthy for you as a person. And this is something that I, I speak about all the time. There are so many people who don't have personalities, who don't have identities because all that has been built around their religion you know there are certain people you can't talk to for five minutes without them talking about church my pastor the bible whenever you can have any conversation with people that they always have to insert these religious things into it it's hard for them to really have clear opinions on what they believe as human beings it's funny because a lot of the things we talk about in society as things that affect us For a lot of us that are liberal, we don't understand how people can be okay with certain things and not okay with certain things. When people talk about abortion, for example, people talk about homosexuality, for example, whenever we have these conversations and some people just don't seem to get it and they use the religious thing to use as a way to cover that up, I always tell people that how do you expect them to get it when they have never been given a room to form opinions for themselves? Their religion has always told them, this is what you do. It's not you. Your opinions mm-hmm. don't matter. You just follow mm-hmm. this set of things. It's just directions. Exactly. I think that's one part of religion that to me just, as I grew older, it just threw me off. And it just really made me feel like, yeah, this is not for me. I definitely agree. I mean, I remember when I was younger and I think everyone goes through that phase where you start to question things, you know, because there are all these rules, all these stories and things just don't make sense sometimes. And I remember I was in that place of questioning and I went to a leader in the church and I was asking these questions and it seemed You know, I always joke around and say that if I were ever to develop my own cult, the one thing that I would borrow from Christianity, especially, is assigning divinity to the things that you cannot explain. Mm. You know, because it's like you hit a wall after a point when you're asking questions that the answers are either tough or that the person that you are asking doesn't have the answers for. You always get to that point at in the conversation where they're like, okay, well, you cannot question the ways of the Lord. But it's like, how am I supposed to fully believe this thing that you're telling me that I'm not going to be able to fully understand? 
there's this podcast that I've, I every if you're listening to this, I really want you to look up Heaven's Gate. It is a very interesting podcast. It's a podcast built around a a cult in the United States called Heaven's Gate, right? And Heaven's Gate is one of those things that really stand out in recent history when it comes to religious fanaticism. Basically, the leader gathered his people, you know, fed them with this information as they usually do in cults, alienated them from their families, and they ended up committing suicide by drinking poison or whatever. I mean, it's not, there are a few of them that has happened. This podcast went into like detail of stories of deep, deep things that happened during that process. And one thing I noticed when listening to that podcast is a lot of what I was hearing were things that as somebody who was raised, you know, raised as a Christian, are things that I've heard before. A lot of things I was hearing in that were things that were very familiar to me. You know, once again, growing up in Nigeria, I went to all the churches possible. Like I went to Sele, I went to <laughs> Sele, I went to Cherubim and Seraphim, Redeem, I went to Winners. I mean, I went to Winners more than any other church. For the, the version of religion that's really popular in Nigeria and Africa, for that version of religion to work, you have to pretty much operate it as a cult. Let me ask you a question. Do you think if the biggest pastors in Nigeria at this point, right, they went on stage and they told their members, they're like, hey, so you guys, I'm going to need 200 of you. We're going to go into a place. We're going to go live in the mountains and you're going to leave all your family behind, leave everything you know behind. Do you think they're going to get those 100 or 200 people? I, I do. Sadly. And do you think they're going to get a lot more than they asked for? Probably, yes. Okay. The fact that you heard that and you said yes tells you the problem with religion in our continent. Yeah. Because it's that same principle that cults use. Alienate your family, alienate friends. If they're not from our part of things, they are the problem right oh god that's so kill, true kill everything that has to do with you as an do individual do not yoke yourself with unbelievers is like the favorite exactly line yeah and whenever and that is one thing that is used in you know manipulative relationships that we talk about we talk about abusive relationships we talk about people who manipulate other people it's hard to be manipulated if you have other people around you who are going to challenge Question. the things that yeah. you, you believe and so for them to get these things working, they have to create systems that make sure that what they're telling you is safe. And that's why I think the version of religion practiced in Africa is more of a cult than it is any idea of religion that we think it should be. This is such a hard topic to discuss because a lot of people get very emotional with this topic. Yeah. I'm sure some people are going to listen to this and listen to this episode and roll their eyes or whatever because that's just how they're conditioned. But yeah. I feel like in everybody's life, you get to a point where you have to make a decision about religion. I also want to talk about the the arrogance, I think, of Abrahamic religions. I mean, we're talking about religions, which is why I said in the beginning that I was exploring my spirituality because I, I really want to start kind of moving away from this title of religion. Because at the end of the day, religion is man-made. You know, when you look at certain things in the Bible, like the way that the Bible portrays women, you know, and how that feeds into our society and the way that the, way that the Bible, you know, upholds patriarchy. 
and what Aniola said earlier, which is that these ideas, these beliefs have always existed, you know, different people. And then if you look around the world, different people call it different things. Some people call it your chi. Some people, you know, Christians call it the Holy Spirit. But different people have always had their ways of making sense of this connection that they feel to a higher power or a higher being. And then you have Abrahamic religions like Christianity come in and they're like, well, we feel it too, but we know that ours is the way, the truth, and the light. And not only is that a thing, not only do they go around the world and colonize countries or like continents like like Africa, for example, not only does that happen, but then you have rules, you have laws that are put into place, like what you mentioned earlier about abortion and stuff like that. You have laws that are put into place based on just your view or just based on your beliefs and you're expecting the entire world or your entire society to be governed by those laws. I think that is, for me, one of the parts that does not make sense to me. And when you have a place like Nigeria where the indoctrination is so crazy, there really isn't that separation of church and state. You're thinking that you're genuinely doing the world a favor by demanding that they do the same practices as you. You mentioned othering earlier like this this whole separation and how that feeds into cults and stuff like that and i was also thinking about how that also feeds into things like prosperity preaching yeah. you know and if you, yeah and something that i find very interesting about christians most especially is that they claim that they are representatives of this religion of love i think that a lot of christians understanding of love is questionable if you look at something like prosperity preaching, for example, what it encourages, even even if you're not conscious of it, is that if you continue to pray and do the right things, God will reward you with your finances. It makes you think that the people who are poor just probably didn't pay, pray enough. The people who are sick probably are just not as spiritual or as religious as you. But if you really, really adopted this concept of love and humanity and, and interconnectedness, then our concern as like a society would be to make sure that those people who are not as privileged as us, their human lives are acknowledged. You know, that they have access to the same resources and the same opportunities that you have. We would be looking more so at like a balanced society. Picking back up what you just said, it makes no surprise that a lot of conservatives and a lot of people who have ideas of the way they view society are very religious people. A lot of Republicans in the United States who, be, who are Christians and who believe a lot of these things generally don't feel like people should be given a chance in society. What they say is, oh, you're giving handouts. They're not working hard enough. A lot of it goes with what they believe religiously. Whenever people argue with African Christians, you know, who are very religious, and they talk about, oh, why don't you see stuff, you know, like a liberal? I'm always like, the average African is Republican. That's true. No religion supersedes another. And you have to understand that if this world is going to be an equal world, you have to let everybody, as long as they're not hurting anybody, you have to give them room to practice what they believe in. But um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. This is the last story of the season. So oh my God. it's actually kind of bittersweet. But um, there's one more episode. Uh, well, he's next. lying, y'all. He's mad excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, okay. She's kind of right. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there's one more episode. In two weeks, we're going to be back. We're going to have a recap, a season yes. recap, where we're going to go through your questions. We're going to go through the things that you've left in the reviews. Um, if you're listening to this and you want to leave a question in particular for us to answer or you want to leave a comment for us to read out, go to In These Moments on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review and leave uh, a comment there and you can ask a question, tell us how you like the podcast and we're going to read some of them out next time we're here. And we're also going to talk about our favorite episodes. Yes. We're going to give you some some backstory to come with some of the some of the stories this season tell you what's gonna happen and um yeah we're gonna close the season up in two weeks and you know it's been a really great season i've really enjoyed doing this we've we've reached so many people and we're looking to get more people to listen to this um next season is gonna be amazing i can tell you that guys next season is gonna be go hard or go home yeah, we're working on some really special stories next season. And uh, we're going to some places that, you know, usually don't get visited. And we're going to bring you some really exciting stories. And shout outs to Eniola for talking with us. Um, I think maybe we should also open an Instagram poll. Um, not poll, but we can people can send questions in through Instagram, no? Oh, yeah, that would have been yeah. nice. Okay, you know what? Yeah. We're going to do that. That's a great idea. We're going to yeah. do that through Instagram. Our Instagram is in these moments pod. That's in these moments pod. And you can also send questions to our Twitter at moments pod. That's M O M E N T S P O D. You can send us questions there. And um, for us to track it better, you can use the hashtag in these moments or in these moments pod so we can go through them through you know that way thank you so much for listening thank you for sticking with us through this season it's been amazing really the feedback has been something else and we we will definitely bring you better and even bigger things than we've done so far but um for now it's bye we're gonna be back with you in two weeks for the last episode of the season thank you and goodbye goodbye y'all